And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, February 13th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this episode. Pitchers and catchers trickling into spring training. We have lots of news updates to pass along. As it turns out, we talked about the Giants as part of a team preview episode on Monday. They went out and added some power. So we'll talk about Jorge Soler, how he fits in San Francisco, along with a few other recent trades and signings that have gone down. Time permitting, we got a few risers and fallers over the course of draft season that we'll try to get to as well. Now, we begin the show with some news of our own today. Trevor May, former big leaguer, is going to join us every Friday this season on Rates and Barrels. And the Friday episode will be a live stream on our YouTube channel starting at 1 o'clock Eastern each and every week and beginning this Friday, just three days from now. Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, we've got, uh, we're trying to do something with, with Trevor that approximates the conversations I had with him in the, in the dugout, in the clubhouse. And um, the way that I think about it is hopefully it's intelligent and inclusive. So we're going to try and look at some of the things that you might have heard us talk about and some of the things you might hear on you know, uh, when you're listening to a, to a game or that you might not know right away what it is and kind of, you know, go through these concepts, explain what they are, and then explain them from the standpoint of, say, maybe an analyst, a team R&D analyst, the kind of perspective that I can bring, and then uh, from the player himself and, and hopefully get some idea of what sort of a coaches are thinking about and what it's like on the field when you're trying to implement these strategies, when you're trying to get IVB out of your fastball. What is IVB? What is a good forcing fastball? And how do people coach it up? So we're going to do uh, stuff like that. But then we're also, uh, we've got a lot of plans for fun segments uh, where Trevor will let us in a little bit into what life uh, on the other side is like. As you've probably heard or seen, if you've any, ever seen him on YouTube or on his Twitch channel or heard him on the radio, we've heard him maybe on this pod as a guest a few years back. Trevor's insight is awesome. Uh, it's very, very honest. Mm-hmm. And that is great. I love that about him. So really excited to work with Trevor this year uh, to make the show more interactive, making it a live stream. We hope you can come by. One o'clock Eastern is the start time. Ten o'clock a.m. Pacific on Fridays each and every week. Of course, those episodes will be podcasts and they'll be available to watch on YouTube after they happen too. But we'll take questions. We'll engage. It should be a lot of fun. And in a similar vein, we have a Discord channel that's going to be available very soon because we've had a lot of people ask us, you know, what are you going to do if if Twitter goes away or where can I go to connect with everybody who listens to the show? We've got a solution to that. It's Discord. So if you don't know what Discord is, this is a good time to kind of dig into it a little bit. Basically, it's an online chat room. 
just set up for a group of people. So we'll have a way to connect with us directly where you can submit mailbag question ideas, maybe find people to play in leagues together. Uh, should be a lot of fun to have that. Just a great way to build some community here around the show. Yeah, an early idea is to have a discussion of how we could compete against each other as a community. Yes, we want to have a league where everyone can play against each other for this season. And how does that look? How does how what kind of a league can we do where you know we can include more people? You know, like I doesn't make much sense. The reason we haven't done them so far is like it doesn't make much sense to have a 12, 15, even like a 20 team league, even a 30 team league. Uh, you know, there's many more listeners than 30, so a few, you know. Yeah. So we need to figure out how we can have some sort of competition when when we had COVID lockdowns, you know, that was a kind of a fun uh, you know, way that we competed against each other. What was the name of that project? Project Goat. Yeah. Project Goat, where we had to put together the best, uh, you know, team of all fantasy team of all time. That was interesting because uh, there was really no limit to the amount of people who could take part. So we need to dream up something like that where we can all take part. And yet there is still a winner. <laughs> That's the goal. So we're going to be taking some ideas for that. Discord channel should be up by the end of the week. Maybe even by the end of the day on Tuesday, if things go really well for me this afternoon, I have a hard time making deadlines for myself right now. It's not uh, not a strength, but we're excited to have it because there's just uh, there, there's a need for us to be able to connect with listeners on a way that's a little quicker than an email. Email gets a little buried sometimes, so keep an eye out for that. We'll be sure to tweet that from the Rates and Barrels Twitter account plus our own Twitter accounts, and uh, we'll put that in the show notes once we have an official link for people to join our Discord. On to the news, you know, the other news, the non-rates and barrels news. Jorge Soler has signed a three-year deal with the Giants, giving them much-needed power. We talked about it on the team preview. They had one hitter inside the top 200 overall in ADP. Now they've got two. And Jorge Soler, now that he has a team, might actually move up a little bit in terms of where people are comfortable drafting him. I look at Jorge Soler, I see a guy whose power plays everywhere, and he's spent most of his career in pitcher-friendly environments. So the the move into Oracle Park doesn't change a whole lot about how I feel about him. And given the needs on this team, I think this is a potential max PT volume player so long as he's healthy. And with health, we're talking about a guy that can actually hit 40 home runs pretty much anywhere he plays. Well, he's done that once, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, the, the, the health is the key. Last year, uh, he remained mostly healthy, but he had he did have an oblique strain. And in 2022, he only had 72 games due to pelvis and lower back injuries. So I expect that on some level, there will be a stint on the uh, on the IL. Um, another thing that's interesting to me uh, about Soler is that it's not doesn't quite perfectly map. But he has had better years in contract years, <laughs> at least in terms of volume. So is there any worry that when he gets a three-year deal, uh, year one or two of the of that deal will be lower on volume? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to really uh, go down that road because who knows what, uh, why he was hurt and when and what was going on there. And uh, from a team perspective, I think the Giants are like, it's okay if you're hurt. We have a very a pretty high replacement level on this team. You know, just in terms of the veterans that we've got here, if you're not in, it's Wilmer Flores. Wilmer Flores doesn't sound super exciting, but 
he's an above average a bat, you know. So uh, there's we have options on the days that Jorge Soler is hurt, and when he's not hurt, that's what we really want is a guy who can actually hit even 30 homers. The last time they had a 30 homer hitter in San Francisco was 2004, and his name was Barry Bonds. So you know, one thing I have noticed is Soler's got a tomahawk chop. I think you know one of some of his most iconic homers. You just think of like you know a high pull, pulled you know just screamer. Um, and in San Francisco, the easiest place to hit a homer is to left field along the line or just, just left field power alley. The right field power alley is called triples alley. That's where balls die. Um, there's a big wall there. You know, even if you, you know, hit it hard, you might get a double or triple out of it. Left field is where you can still hit homers. So yeah, I think, you know, Solaire 30 plus homers uh maybe like a 230 average but um definitely uh a a good on base percentage the thing that's been frustrating to me just watching him is that i think he has a really good sense of where the zone is but i don't think he has a great sense of spin <laughs> mm. and uh i think that's been true of his whole career that's why you see really good walk rates but also fairly high strikeout rates that go along with it the nice thing about someone who does know where the zone is and can't tell spin uh, so well is that you can uh, tell him to kind of uh, shorten the zone. Like if you if you understand place, right, but not so much pitch type, well, then just really focus in on high and tight. How many people are throwing high and tight sliders, you know? Um, and that's been, I think, what he does in his best years. He just really focuses on high, high and tight and tries to spit on low and away, even in the zone as much as possible. Uh, but that's still where he's gettable is sliders in the zone. Um, and I expect that as he goes past 31, the strikeout rate will, uh, increase and the batting average will decrease, but they're saying three-year deal. He hits the snot out of the ball. Uh, this is something we need. Yeah, and you look at two of the last three seasons, the, the more complete seasons in 21 and 23, the strikeout rate was under 25%. So some of the the elevated swing and miss concerns where he was in the 30% range earlier in his career, those have faded a little bit. I think you're looking at a guy that also is going to an organization is, that, as we said yesterday, has shown a propensity to make veteran players better, but not necessarily mm-hmm. young players better. So I wonder if they'll have anything you know, location strategy or anything with his approach that they'll try and, and tweak a little bit to keep him unlocking that power throughout the entire life of the deal. But I'm only thinking about this year as far as uh, how much I, I like this addition for them. Projections are a little higher on Solaire maybe than you are just in terms of average. The the bad X has him at a 249. 30 home runs seems realistic, and that's only with 539 plate appearances projected. So there's some injury risk already baked in and some occasional days off already baked in. I wonder if the park factors have already been applied. I mean, this is fairly fresh news. So um, those may be sort of more context neutral. So watch those projections and see if they drop down to where I'm talking about. Uh, because San Francisco is a tough park. Though, hitting the snot out of the ball, uh, as you can see on this leaderboard that we just had up, uh, 15% barrel rate and 48% hard hit, 350 balls in, pl- balls in play last year. Shohei Otani, Marcel Azuna, Matt Olson, Kyle Schwarber, Adolis Garcia, Ronald Acuna Jr., Corey Seager, and Jorge Soler. Uh, so that is a nice little group of hitters. He does hit the ball hard. 
good company to be in. A lot of those guys easily top 100 players, and a few of them, of course, are very early round picks for fantasy purposes as well. Let's move on to a trade that went down recently. Nick Gordon on the move. He gets flipped from the Twins to the Marlins, a reliever. Steven Okert goes back to Minnesota. Just a simple one-for-one swap. All I could think about after I saw this trade go down was the Marlins just have a type. They are okay with a a lighter-hitting bat. They just thrive on adding these guys to their roster. I do think the Gordon playing time outlook might be a little more favorable with the move to Miami than it was if he had stayed in Minnesota. And Okert is actually a pretty nice bullpen addition for the Twins, who are piling up a pretty impressive stable of relievers. If it were not for 2022, if you looked at 2021 and 2023 exclusively, you would consider Nick Gordon a non-tender candidate. And I do believe that at times he's been close to that. We still have the 443 plate appearances he put down in 2022, where he had a 9% barrel rate and a 110.7 max EV, and showed us that it's not a completely empty stick. So I'm wondering how much of last year's small sample and injury and if he can get back to an 8 or 9% barrel rate. If he can, he could have league average power even in that park. He's got some legs. Uh, he's been an option in center. He could be the guy who steps in when Jazz is hurt. Um, he could factor in at uh, any of the outfield positions plus second base. Uh, pushing a rise to first some days and bell to DH. So there's a lot of different configurations uh, where Nick Gordon can get some playing time. I'm not sure that behind Byron Buxton wouldn't be a better situation for him. Uh, so I'm not sure how many I'm not sure how many played appearances to give Nick Gordon this year. Uh, right now, the depth charts over at Fangraph say about 150. I don't think that uh, he's going to clear that. Yeah, I, I I think he's versatile enough and he has shown enough flashes where they're going to want to see what he can do. And I think there was also the story that Dan Hayes wrote a couple of years ago where in addition to missing time with COVID, there was a stint where I think he had chronic gastritis that caused him to drop down to like 153 pounds. Like there was that a could major, power major sure. health issue that he was dealing with that, you know, now that that's further into his past, I think you can start to look at some of the the high points and, and think that that's at least attainable for him. So on the surface, looks like a typical Marlins acquisition. The more you look at it, the more you can kind of see, hey, if, if they're able to get back to that 2022 level, which to me seems more, it's more like a function of just playing every day too. It's hard when you don't have a spot to call your own. We've talked about the difficulties of being a part-time player. I just think it is a question of where does he really fit in best defensively? Uh, as you try and put the pieces together. I think I figured something out. I was I was wondering why the Twins would trade away a backup center fielder when they're going to be trying Buxton in center and, and Buxton hasn't played so much. Um, you know, what happens when Buxton goes on the IL and Willie Castro is your starting center fielder? You know, what do you do then? I don't want Matt Walner. <laughs> no, 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 no. Kind of funny, actually. Uh, but no, I don't want Matt Walner or Max Kepler in center, uh, here's, I think, what makes the trade make all sorts of sense. Nick Gordon has no options left. So if you're going into center field and you're building a bench, 
Uh, someday that'll be a good segment and people will look forward to it. I promise. <laughs> year um, five. <laughs> year five. Still Sisyphus. <laughs> Sisyphus with this rock. Um, uh, so if you're building a bench in Minnesota, uh, you look at Willie Castro backup center fielder, Kyle Farmer backup shortstop, Ryan Jeffers or Christian Vasquez, a backup catcher. You have room for one more, right? Yeah, and as of right now, I think Roster Resource has Jose Miranda in that spot. Yeah, so uh, one more is Jose Miranda or Trevor Larnack. Yep, could be Larnack. Uh, you know, uh, so those two are better bats, and I don't think you want to keep a third backup center fielder, even if you like Buxton, you know he's hurt. So the answer to why they trade away Nick Gordon is Austin Martin. Austin Martin can play center field. Austin Martin profiles pretty similarly to Nick Gordon, where it's like, okay, he does a lot of things well. What's the power like? He can play center field, and he has three options left. Nick Gordon has zero options left. So I think that explains the deal in its entirety, really. Yeah, and you look at Austin Martin, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Last year, 16 bags at AAA, a 106 WRC+. Plus. I mean, not a lot left for him to prove at that level necessarily, but also could be an up-and-down guy pretty easily yeah. if you want yeah, to. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't profile necessarily as a, as a starter uh, in the big leagues unless, the, you know, with he's had a, a fairly robust injury history, so... Maybe there's another, you know, another year removed from uh, from that, and he starts hitting the ball 108, 109. Hard hit rate gets to 35. percent You know, then we can start to believe that he might have some power at the big league level. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24/7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move on to another signing. Spencer Turnbull has signed with the Phillies, and we wondered if maybe the Padres should have been in on Turnbull. The way you look at the Phillies depth chart right now, Wheeler and Nola at the top, Ranger Suarez, Taiwan Walker, Christopher Sanchez, kind of your back three. So Turnbull looks like the sixth starter, at least for now. Maybe he could win a job over the course of spring training. Uh, But you actually like this signing quite a bit as a guy that should give them meaningful innings at some point this year. Yeah, I don't know if it's easy to keep him on the roster, what the agreement is, what the exact details are. I saw some uh, speculation that he might be able to uh, play in the minor leagues and uh, still, you know, be paid like this $2 million, you know, like that the, the, this would allow them to keep uh, Spencer Turnbull in the minor leagues as their sixth starter. Um, I don't know exactly how that would work because he's a major leaguer. It's a major league deal. If you keep him on the roster as a starter, um, you know, 
does Taiwan Walker uh, does he does he have to claw past Taiwan Walker? Is he still a candidate for me? Maybe being cut in the spring? I guess so. Uh, but they had Matt Strom on uh, last year as a kind of a reliever slash starter, and I could see Turnbull uh, doing something similar. And then just in terms of what he throws and and you know why I circled him, mostly it's because he throws a lot of pitches. Uh, they're not all great. Um, if you look at uh, the stuff plus, um, you know, only the changeup really rates that well. The curve is all right. Um, but the slider is close to average. And the four seam and sinker, you know, 91 and 93, that's not really terrible. We've seen some 60s and 70s uh, from, from major league starting pitchers. That's just like below average. It's not, I wouldn't call it terrible. Um, and so, and he locates the, the fastballs well. So if he locates these fastballs well and they're only and they're okay, um, and the changeup and the curve look good, I I see that like you know some of this injury that he had last year, the neck injury, which in the light of Billy Epler's um, you know suspension, I'd have to point out that that Spencer Turnbull's neck injury last year was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> he was demoted and then he came back and was put on the major league IL. So uh, I'll just point that one out real quick. Uh, if there was an injury, if it was just one of those down years, the fact that he couldn't locate a slider just leaps off the page to me. So if he can locate the slider and locate the two, uh, the two fastballs and then the changeup and the curve are his action pitches, there's a real opportunity here. And and again, it's like this thing where it's like the Dean Kramer thing. It's like, he has five pitches. Like, two of them are probably okay. Can we get a third one? Can we tweak one of these ones that he's actually used in the major leagues? Can we tweak one of them and make it a little bit better? That's a little bit more... Uh, I think it's got to be easier uh, than taking a guy who has two pitches who's never really thrown a third pitch, you know, and has never really shown the ability to to shape that pitch. I think it's easier to work with somebody like this. Plus, with five pitches, he's just like, you know, he's like a really ideal sort of fifth, sixth starter. Um, you know, I, I think this is a great signing for them. I, I'm not trying to say that Spencer Stormbull is amazing. I'm just saying that he he sort of represents like, think of the guys who've been signing these one year and $12 million deals. Yeah. Right? A lot of them are like, they're veterans. They have enough pitches. They pitched, they've started the major leagues. That describes Turnbull, and you just got him for $4 million instead of $12 million. That's how I see it. Yeah, the big difference, of course, we've seen one season in which he's been able to work as a starter kind of all year long at the big league level. That was back in 2019. It was a 461 ERA, 144 whip, the year of the super happy fun ball. So it didn't go particularly well, but we've seen flashes. 2021, before the injury, Spencer Turnbull looked like a different pitcher. And I think if they use him as a, a right-handed Matt Strom, that could be optimal in the short term. Injury strike, maybe you go to four or five innings with him at some point later on this season. That lack of bulk is the difference in cost. And that's why Lance Lynn and maybe Kyle Gibson, why. those guys, command more money. But I look at someone like Jake Odorizzi, who's still a free agent. I'd kind of forgotten about him until I saw his name pop up in a Rotowire update. He could be sim- he could be similar. Like you could just sign Jake Odorizzi if you had a need for pitching, and he's actually done it several times in terms of providing a little more bulk. We've seen teams more recently veer away from him come playoff time, but if he's healthy, 
this is a guy that I think could sign a similar deal to Turnbull somewhere and end up logging a surprising number of innings. I mean, remember last February, were we talking about Seth Lugo as someone that was going to pop up and chew up a bunch of high quality innings for the Padres? I, I certainly wasn't. I think that's the kind of signing you're looking for at this point in the spring. Right. And I think the Giants showed you what you can do. Uh, you don't have to do it with three spots. But what can you do with two or one spot at the back of your rotation is uh, just buy innings, you know, just buy innings and figure it out. And I think that's why we're seeing some of these veteran pitchers sign and be like, I think the signing team is thinking, can we get 75 innings? Then we should we should do this. You know, it's 75 innings that may not be high leverage, 98 miles an hour pitching the eighth. And it may not be, you know, somebody who qualifies for the ERA title um, or, you know, really we want to like put down on our depth chart as our fifth starter. But something in between is always useful. Jake Junis was really important for the Giants over the last few years. Has value in real life, even if it might have limited value in a lot of our fantasy leagues. A couple other players on the move. Two catchers will start in Milwaukee. Gary Sanchez has signed with the Brewers and it looks like a lot of his time might just come as a DH because the way this roster is built, you think about William Contreras as one of the more heavily utilized catchers. Sanchez could rotate, be the backup catcher and primary DH option, give them some more power from the right side. And we talked about him accidentally on the Monday show. We were just talking about how people notice past balls, right? And the perception of Gary Sanchez's defense versus what some of the defensive metrics actually say are very different things. So you factor in the Brewers having the organizational ability to make catchers better in the first place, Sanchez not being as bad as everybody thinks, and still having a lot of power. I kind of understand why he fits on this roster. Now, this is a weird slash line, right? We're talking about three years in a row where he's been 217 or less, OBPs below 300 in two of those three seasons. It's kind of power with not a lot else next to it from an offensive profile perspective. Yeah, but we saw with the Diamondbacks, we were talking about the Diamondbacks and how they were good at, you know, a lot of things, but not great at, at, at power. And so they add some power and patience, guys. I think, you know, this team has become pretty good at contact over the years. If you think about um, what Christian Yelich brings to the table, but also Sal Freelich, um, Joey Ortiz is going to make good contact. Wilson Contreras makes good contact. Um, there's not a lot of bad strikeout rates on this team. Adamas is about the closest it gets. Uh, so adding another bad strikeout rate, you know, guy that might YOLO and, and, and win you a game, um, I think is fine. And I, I, my big question is if Eric Haas makes this team, and I know that sounds like a very small question, but if Eric Haas doesn't make this team, Sanchez is going to get as much playing time as a lot of catcher ones. Because that's how I agree. I agree with you in that in that way is that Sanchez's ability to win a game with a homer is uh, not necessarily uh, matched by Sal Freelich or Joey Weimer um, or Garrett Mitchell, who are the other candidates for DH, uh, you know, when they're not starting in the outfield. And if Eric Haas doesn't make this team, my build a bench is Gary Sanchez backup catcher. Uh, backup center is tough. I'm going to go backup short first. Joey Ortiz. 
<laughs> I think Joey Ortiz makes his team because they just traded away Corbin Burns, you know? Might be starting at third, too. Might be starting at third. So it's it's kind of actually hard to to, 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 to build this bench. You got to build a starting like, lineup before you can build right? a bench. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, Joey Ortiz. So Tyler Black. Okay. So Gary Sanchez, Tyler Black, Garrett Mitchell, and Joey Weimer. That's my bench. Mm. That's two outfielders. But Joy Ortiz is very... Uh, Joy Ortiz and Bryce Turang and Tyler Black can all play multiple positions. Well, see, that's the tricky thing with the Brewers, right? So if Turang's your starter at second, he's also your backup shortstop. So you don't have to carry a backup shortstop on the bench. He's at the backup infielder. If Joy Ortiz is starting at third, he's your backup shortstop. Right. I mean, you've got multiple shortstops. You've got multiple center fielders. That's the that's the good thing about the way this roster is constructed right now. You could send Joey Weimer down to AAA if you want to and give him more time there to try and, and work on some things. And Who makes the team if they only take one extra outfielder? Owen Miller? Andrew Monasterio? Probably Monasterio. Wouldn't you rather have Weimer than Monasterio? It depends on what else is going on with the rest of the roster. I've been looking at it assuming Jackson Churio is the center fielder. Right, and me too. And then, you know, Freelick has the upper hand to be the right fielder. It's interesting that the, the roster resource build has Yelich as the primary DH. Joey Weimer was worse than I thought last year. He's a great defender in center. He has power and speed, but the, the approach hit tool needs some work. So I think you send him down so he can play every day and then bring him back up later on in the season. I think that's the right approach. Mitchell's with a little bit more polished. Mitchell and Sanchez, like kind of sharing DH, makes them not not. Mitchell would play in the field, right? So Yelich will DH, like, yeah. Yelich and Sanchez sharing DH. Mitchell playing the field when Yelich doesn't. You know, what that still doesn't give Garrett Mitchell a lot of playing time. But there is an opportunity for Garrett which, Garrett Mitchell to pass Sal Freelich. So I, I still have Garrett Mitchell semi-circled as an interesting player going into this season. I think Freelich is safer than Mitchell by a healthy margin. Like I just I think he's a priority play for the Brewers in the lineup. I think Mitchell has to earn his spot a little bit more. We've seen a lot, we've seen a lot of swing and miss from Mitchell in the brief time he's been in the big leagues. Well, we'll have a team preview. We don't have to make this podcast the <laughs> Milwaukee Brewers podcast, so we'll get into that. I'm just trying to, uh, uh, you know, identify some opportunity. I think the opportunities here, um, you know, other than the obvious, uh, are sort of Gary Sanchez and possibly Garrett Mitchell in deeper leagues, uh, Joey Ortiz, uh, if he takes that starting spot. Can I interest you in another NL Central catcher signing? Yes, Money Grandal lands with the Pirates and... At one point, it looked like Gary Sanchez was going to be a pirate, and that didn't quite come to fruition. So the next best available veteran free agent lands there instead. I assume this is just like a little bit of insurance in case something happens to Henry Davis. I mean, is that is this really going to keep Henry Davis from quickly becoming catcher eligible again? I don't know. Fangraphs, you know, has them on the depth chart as, as sort of even catchers. I, I would say that I'm surprised when sometimes when I talk to team officials and, and, and analysts and um, at how much they're obsessed with catcher depth. And I, I wonder if it's it has a little bit to do with spring training. Uh, it's a weird segue or, or, or tangent here but in spring training you can't have enough catchers i mean you like just think about all the bullpens that had to be thrown you know and um uh, you know pitchers and catchers report 
and you need enough catchers to catch all those pitchers, you know, that's, that's more of like a minor league operations. Do I have some bullpen catchers? Can I hire like a local college guy that played in D1 to like catch, you know, in spring training? That's a little bit different than what, I, what I'm saying generally. But I think because of that obsession, they're, they're like one of the things that they think about all the time is where who's catching a triple A, you know? Who's catching a double A? Think about how many catchers the Giants have claimed off of waivers. <laughs> All Blake of Sable, Cooper Hummel, like they had that guy Papierski. Like they they've been they've been really obsessed with catcher depth. So I think Jason Delay is a fine backup uh you know catcher in the big leagues, but they might think Jason Delay still has options left. So it's better for us if we have a third catcher in AAA. So Grandal is pushing delay to AAA more than he's pushing Davis off of catching. And if for whatever reason, if you're just not happy with Henry Davis's catching this spring and you really want to move away from him at the position, then you've got delay as your kind of glove first option and Yasmani Grandal as a kind of veteran backup. That's what he is at this stage. The interesting thing that happened, he finally started chasing for a long time, he was really good at not chasing pitches outside the zone. Last year, 30.4% O-swing percentage. You know, that cheap power he used to offer hasn't been there for a couple of seasons. We have two seasons in a row now from Grandal where he's been dealing with injuries. Barrel rate's under 5%. He's just not quite that same guy he was when he signed that long-term deal with the White Sox coming off of a kind of career-high 28-homer season during his one year with Milwaukee. So, yeah, it's a depth move, as uh, as you said. He, he speaks a little bit to the superiority of using uh, zone swing minus uh, uh, chase rate or, or O-swing um, if you're looking at fan graphs because the way that he's achieved not chasing is not swinging. And if you look at his career zone swing rates, they are 10 percentage points below average. Um, and then if you think about... Uh, you know, what happens as you get older, um, you know, your contact rates go down. So, uh, you know, he has had decent strikeout rates paired with those huge walk rates. And it's been a, a great way for him to be a good catcher. But um, as he gets older, if he's especially if he's not going to add those barrel rates along with it, it's uh, it, it, yeah, it profiles like a backup catcher. One of their minor signing to quickly get to Jesse Winker has signed with the Nationals. He gets a non-roster invite this spring. He just looked so hurt at the end of last season that my expectations have pretty much been zeroed out for him, given this two-year stretch that he's had between Seattle and Milwaukee. But an okay flyer for a team like the Nats, just given that they've got some playing time that's still up for grabs. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hey 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. There was a raised notebook that Mark Topkin put together for the Tampa Bay Times and it sounds like they have a lot more options than I realized just based on the way this team's built. shouldn't be surprised anymore, but there's things I learned about the Rays from Mark's notebook and one of those things is that Richie Palacios has played some second base. I had not realized that. He played a lot of double at double A AA and triple A in the Guardian system back in 2021. Made just one appearance with the Cardinals there last year. He's kind of moved a little more to the outfield, probably because of, of team needs. But when you think about the way the Rays distribute playing time, they lean a lot into that versatility. And you start to think about the defensive limitations of Jonathan Aranda, who they really want to play as a DH. I'm starting to think that maybe Palacios is a glue guy that can bounce around and, and give them versatility more than I previously thought. I thought they were going to play him in a corner and platoon him. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how much do you think Palacios is going to play? And do you actually trust more positive news around Jonathan Aranda that the, the Rays are high on him? And, and Mark, Mark's report says basically with Luke Rayleigh gone, Aranda's the guy as the left-handed hitting primary DH. Would it be some sort of strange platoon where the left-handed Richie Palacios uh, platoons with Brandon Lowe? Brandon Lowe. And they're both lefties. They're both lefties, but Palacios might have more juice against lefties than Taylor Walls, who's kind of listed as the other platoon candidate. Jonathan Aranda is a, a right-hander, I believe. Uh, nope, also a left-hander but also a poor fit because of the uh, the defense. Isak Paredes is a right-hander, but uh, and he did play second base last year, but then who do you play at third base? Uh, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think Paredes might be... And also, like, if you're looking at this team, who's the everydayer? You know, Randy Rosarena's an everydayer. Are they really going to platoon everywhere else? And especially if they got so many lefties. Aranda's a lefty. Lau's a lefty. Lowe's a lefty. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, and, and Aranda's a lefty. So I haven't figured this one out. It's my yearly, like, I, I at some point I sit down with the Rays depth chart and try to understand it better because it's not easy. I'm excited that Palacios could maybe play some second base. I'm glad that the Rays seemingly want to give Aranda that opportunity. And the other thing in the notebook 
it seems unlikely, according to Mark Topkin, that Junior Caminero breaks camp as one of their 13 position players, which I think given his age and how quickly he moved through the upper levels of the system, given their needs on the roster last year, that makes some sense. It's more of a question of when do you think Junior Caminero is going to join this mix? Because he brings so much more to the table than the likes of Jose Caballero, you know, Taylor Walls once he's healthy, Slavis Pasabe, like they have a handful of other infielders that can play shortstop. None of them bring the bat potential to the table that Junior Caminero offers. Yeah, I wonder. You know, he wasn't being used at shortstop in the Dominican um, league that he was playing in, and um, I just I wonder maybe they they use that and they say, hey, you know, why don't you go to the minors and play short? Because if he can play short, then he the the depth chart is much easier to overcome. If he can't play short, then is it all the way until they, you know, if they have a bad season, they trade Brandon Lau? Or someone gets hurt. There's a couple ways. Brandon Lau is on a really nice deal that includes club options in 25 and 26. However, that is uh, often when the Rays trade people because they have good return value you know somebody would pay if if Lau's having a good season and the Rays are not somebody might pay actual players uh to get those cheap club options from the Rays so that might be a time is you know after the trade deadline um or uh just up for injury you know he could definitely be an injury replacement for somebody comes up for injury and then just stays up because he hits and earns it, right? I mean, we talked about a guy that skipped over AAA entirely last year, had 81 games at AA, turned 20 last July, and was phenomenal at AA. 20 homers in 81 games, kept the K rate under 20%, drew a lot of walks, I mean, there's everything in the world to like about Junior Caminero. It's just, we may have to wait a little longer than some of us would like for him to get that opportunity in Tampa Bay. The other thing I hadn't really thought enough about was that they may do something similar with Shane Boz that the Dodgers are doing with Walker Bueller. We may get 130 or 140 innings, but they might be a little more backloaded. And the early weeks of the season could be some skipped starts or even delaying him a little bit. They're just It doesn't seem cut and dried that Shane Boz just is in the starting five right away. So we could see a little more of Zach Littell or somebody who looked like they were previously on the outside looking in, at least to begin the season in this Rays rotation. Yeah, I asked a, a team official, you know, do people still talk about young players in terms of innings? You know, young pitchers, do they say, you know, innings or do they say, oh, well, monitor him and, you know, watch his release points and watch his injury data and like, you know, give him rest when he needs it. Um, they said, no, we still have to talk about innings because we have to talk about the shape of the season and where we want him to be. We need to talk about what levels he's going to be in when, and we need to plan out the season a little bit. And so, you know, I think that's what uh, the teams are doing is, you know, saying, well, you know, we project to be one of the better teams in the league right now uh, on the depth charts that, uh, that sort of sum up uh, your war projection the Rays are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth. So that's a playoff team. If we play like a playoff team, then we need to think ahead of time uh, how we want this to work. And we want Shane Boz in our playoff rotation. You know, 
Um, and so if we have 130 innings out of him this year, then we better not just blow them all in April and May and in June. So yeah, that, uh, makes them hard, uh, for people to draft and depend on. Um, what, what happened with Bradley? Didn't there was something similar last year? When did Bradley come up? Yeah, Bradley was all over the place. We thought, oh, they got to bring him up. They got to bring him up. And he was up and down. They needed him early in April. He made a three-start stretch, and then he was down for a few weeks. For a month. Yeah. Yeah, he was down for like a month between turns. And that was a stretch that he actually pitched well in. His first three starts, he went five every time out, gave up a total of six earned runs over 15 and a third, had, but you had 23 Ks against two walks. He looked phenomenal in those first three starts. But they, you had they to knew. hold him against for a month. I mean, it just on those in these leagues where you don't have a, you don't have a deep bench, you know, you're going to might have to hold Shane Boz for a month at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I'm not wild about that. You're not wild about that. I get it. I'm really excited about Shane Boz's stuff and I think he's a, a top-end talent. A month is almost doable for me. Uh, I don't think it'll be more than a month. As long as it's not, and it seems reasonable that that's where they would draw the line, that's fine. I just think what I've learned over time is leagues with small benches in particular, especially with an IL stint, if they're just managing him carefully, just using him as like the, the last pitcher on the roster, or they, they do send him down, you just have to have everything else super tight on your roster. You can really only burn one bench spot unless you have really, really deep benches. So I would just say your format... And your rules really determine. You'll be staring at that Shane Boz spot all all month. Or he's your only one. You're not waiting on other prospects. You're not taking a flyer on somebody else if Boz is your guy. I think the talent is there. No doubt about that. So just plan accordingly. Last thing I learned from that piece was Brendan McKay has actually been throwing going back to the end of last season. He's looked pretty good, too. So he's in camp the as a non-roster invite. Yeah. Could actually see him maybe get some innings at some point. Again, this season, just a fun story to root for as a guy that's been through a ton of arm injuries. So I hope for his sake that he's able to turn the corner and get back this season. Some really nice strikeout rates for him in the minors. It's not impossible. Absolutely. We always get injury updates this time of year. Just a few of these to pass along. Edwin Diaz through a bullpen session, had no issues after that on Monday in Port St. Lucie. So everything appears to be on schedule for him. That's according to the Athletics' Tim Britton. Shohei Otani was hitting on the field at Dodgers camp on Monday. I saw Grant Brisby uh, joking that the he's wasting all of his home runs <laughs> already, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I look at Otani and like... I've I've made it clear. I trust him as a late first rounder. I think he's well on his way to doing more amazing things this year. Timetable wise, it looks like he's good to go for the start of the season. So far, everything's falling into place with that. We haven't really seen him on a team with a great lineup. <laughs> no, uh, we have not. You know, he's topped out at even though he's hit forty six homers, you know, and stolen twenty six bases and been at the top of a lineup. He's He's topped out at 103 runs and 100 RBI. Yeah, we could definitely see something with the 110s, 115s, even 120s in them in those categories. So here's the unexpected one, you know. White Sox GM Chris Getz didn't rule out Garrett Crochet beginning the season in the team's rotation. Last time we talked about Crochet, we thought he might be the, the favorite to step in and close, just given the way that bullpen has been decimated. And given Crochet's injury history, expecting him to be 
a full workload starter all season seems completely unrealistic, but I think he'd fall into this opposite camp where you'd say, if he's healthy and you think he's a starter long-term and you're rebuilding, you get as many innings out of him as you can in the early part of the season and shut him down later and taper him off at some point this summer. Because if he were to get hurt again, you're going to lose time. You need the benefit of the schedule in the case of Garrett Crochet if you want him to be someone who can stretch out as a full season starter at some point a year or two down the road. Yeah, you've got him till 2027. So it's worth, you know, seeing what the best version of him is. I just don't think his changeup is is all that great. He's never thrown it more than 8% of the time. Um, you know, it's gotten some okay results at times, but, you know, when you throw something 8% of the time, no one's expecting it. You know, when you start throwing it 20 and 30% of the time, start using it a lot more against lefties than they expect it. Uh, how will it fare then? Model says not well. Um, plus all the injuries. It's like we're going to solve all the injuries by putting them in the rotation. <laughs> you know, I, I, some players, maybe it works because everything's on a schedule and you get those five days of rest. Maybe maybe it'll work. Uh, I remain skeptical. It, it just looks like such a dominant reliever arsenal in the first place. Why why mess with it? I know there's more value if you can turn him into a starter, but it's never really looked like that was going to work as a pro for Garrett Crochet. Uh, that report came from Vinny Duber of allchicago.com, by the way. Let's get to some spring movers. Let's look at some guys that have moved up the draft board and moved down since the start of draft season. We're going to focus on pitchers today. Using ADP again from the NFBC, I built a giant spreadsheet. One of my favorite spreadsheets to build. It should come as no surprise that among the biggest risers in the early rounds for pitchers is Yoshinobu Yamamoto. He's up about 35 spots since November. He's now being picked around 45 overall. Mostly it's just he's on a team. The specific team that signed him and for how much money they signed him, probably influencing this. Money's a big hint at how good he is. And then, of course, as we've talked about, the arsenal, which you dug into, is phenomenal. It points to a guy that will offer top 10 upside among pitchers from day one. This looks like a possible SP1 in Yamamoto that the Dodgers have brought in. So, so I'd completely get it. And I am still in at the inflated price. Like, I am... 100% on board with the idea that Yamamoto is going to come in right away and pitch really, really well. Yes, the home run rate's not going to be as low as it was in Japan, period. <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't need to be. I think you're going to get very good ratios, enough innings, maybe not as many as the other workhorse aces that are out there. If, you, if Yamamoto throws more innings than some combination of Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, Kevin Gossman, Corbin Burns, I'd be surprised. That's probably the one thing that sets him back from that group. But talent-wise, I think he belongs in that conversation. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, the only thing I said was, like, I don't know where the slider is, but I've, I've been talking with a couple of pitching coaches about that, and they thought it would be pretty easy to have him ha- throw, like, a sort of harder, tighter little gyro slider, uh, that that would really pair well with his forcing fastball. Uh, then he has the bigger shape pitches, the curveball, and the changeup uh, on top of that. So it's a, just a, such a full arsenal with command and demonstrated results, and just you know, there's no, no, nothing really to point to point at other than that slider thing. 
So uh, yeah, I could I could expect him to continue rising. I mean, it just at some point you're going to run into people being like, well, he's never done in the major league, so I'm not I'm not making him a f- top five pitcher before he gets here. <laughs> Right. That's where it stops. Somewhere probably in that pick 30 to 35 range. But if he's going late second round, early third round come March, that wouldn't be surprising at all, especially with a big spring. It's the common theme, right? You have a lot of players that we just haven't seen a lot of, whether they're coming over from Japan or if they're prospects, they can send their ADP to the moon by having a really nice run over the course of spring training. He went for $45 in my auto draft last night, which is Oof. a lot for a pitcher. If Cole were available, what would Cole have gone for? Those are leagues that have a lot of inflation. 40, 45. Like, uh, I haven't really seen a pitcher go for 50. Yeah. So, okay. Expectations already creeping up even more for Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Just to be clear, as the auditor, there's inflation. So, that means that you keep a bunch of players at an under market uh, rate, which means that you have extra money, you know, so... You know, it might just be thought of as a rental for his for his team. I did notice that a lot of closers are down just eight to 10 spots overall in ADP, but it's a shift in the type of drafts. When draft season starts, it's a lot more of the draft and hold formats where people have to push up closers because they don't have the ability to go get them on the waiver wire. I don't think it's any sort of strategic shift. It's just the different nature of the drafts that compile the data. Interesting, though, there were some exceptions. Closers that have jumped. All guys that have basically had good news. Craig Kimbrell. Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz creeping up a little. But Craig Kimbrell up almost 100 picks because he signed with the Orioles. Makes sense. People had no expectation he was going to be a closer back when draft season began. Mm -hmm. Jose Alvarado up about 40 picks because Craig Kimbrell didn't re-sign with the Phillies. He left and looks like the best overall reliever maybe in that pen, at least with the experience. And then Robert Stevenson, who we talked about when he signed with the Angels, up about 100 picks, even though we don't have any sort of confirmation that he's their guy. It sounds like for now, Carlos Estevez has to lose that job, but pretty big moves for all three of those guys. From your from our team preview section, maybe you'll see some Robert Suarez movement in the next few weeks. I think so. And that's kind of what I wanted to bring this up for, is the, the goal is really to figure out who's going to move next when you're trying to find value in your drafts. If you're drafting now or a few weeks from now, it doesn't matter when, the entire goal in fantasy baseball is to draft players who are going to be more expensive later because that means they got better. They did something right or something broke in their favor. There's generally, there's often like, I think the two classes uh, are generally health news. Somebody like Carlos Rodon coming to the camp and throwing 98s and saying his back feels great. You know, you'll see him go up. Um, the other kind is uh, when it comes to... Um, uh, position time battles you know justin Henry malloy comes to camp and starts raking and is playing third every day you know and starts to look like he might be the option there like young players kind of pushing veterans uh that they're at the same same position that's uh where i could see colt keith going up because they've already announced he's basically it but they said that he has to win it so if he like you know hits well for a week then you're like oh he's winning it you know so uh that that type of player i could see also moving do you have do you have any young players does cole keith already move he already started to move since the start of draft season he was up like 75 picks or something yeah that's pretty normal um you know, jackson churio same thing signed the extension with the brewers jumped up i don't know 100 125 picks in some leagues just because i bet von grissom will move over time yeah, Grissom's another good one. I bet I, I, I could probably check this out real quick. 
lo- I love when I'm trying to look something up and I've got my Google sheet open and it just decides to sign me out as I go to look something up. That's awesome. <laughs> That's such a great feature. Like, what are you yeah, saving like me from? Four different Gmail accounts. So like, sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm in the wrong one. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll get that for you right now. I go, I go look for it. Nope. Von Grissom's up 131 spots since draft season started. Totally makes that's, sense. He was that's the trade too. Yeah, yeah. Buried in Atlanta gets a chance in Boston. It, it's funny that the, the other side of that trade, Chris Sale, also up. It's a winner winner mm-hmm. situation. But he's up about 40 spots since November. I think it's kind of a few things. It's getting out of Boston, but also signing an extension with Atlanta. Right. The fact that it was like, a, it a team that people trust. News kind of. Yeah, trust. It's like good health team that people trust because they've done a lot of smart things in recent years and since they extended him it's like oh okay well there must be something left in the tank if, if Atlanta's willing to sign him to an extension Chris Sale must still be good and I, I don't disagree with any of that but I wonder where the, the limit is for Sale if we've already seen as much of a bump as he can reasonably get over the course of draft season now that he's going to pick 140 Is there any reason to fade Max Freed for all the reasons you just said? The team just signed Chris Sale to an extension, and they are not. They're pretty ostensibly not signing Max Freed to an extension. Uh, let's see. Let's play a game. Who's Max Freed's agent? Scott Boris. Think that's got more to do with it than anything else? Maybe. Was Scott Boris Chris Sale's agent? I don't think so. That's a good question. I don't think he is, though. No, Wasserman. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes some you know just some thinking out loud who are some other <laughs> some big risers Anybody other big risers fall into a category that i that i was talking about darvish good health news up about 20 spots shota Managa, 46 spots has a team now griffin canning was healthy at the end of last season up about 39 spots well see you know some of these guys get put on sleeper list too as you get later and later of course it's just it doesn't take as much to move up but chris paddock is up almost 60 spots since November. And I'm still really skeptical, even though I get it. Like from a velo perspective, it looked like everything was kind of back in place, right? He came back at the very end of last I season. I wonder if that's a Stuff Plus movement. I mean, Stuff Plus on Fangrass now. Yeah, could you be. look good in a, in a short term. But the Stuff Plus revision wasn't as good. One, 111 on the changeup, 96 Stuff Plus on the four-seam fastball. I mean, two and three inning stints, does that really mean that much? Like, it's it's good that the velo is up, but that doesn't mean he's going to sit at that velo if he's going to be a regular starter again. And and it's and it, the general revision from relief to starting is to, to, to take off five or six points of stuff plus. Um, and, you know, the with the new, with the stuff plus revision, uh, his overall stuff plus, let me see if I can find that real quick. Um, is uh ninety nine, so if you take five off of that, uh, to make him a starter ninety four, I'm not. That's not not doable. There's plenty of guys with ninety four with good command, but you're also asking a guy to have good command off of Tommy John surgery. So, uh, yeah, there's more questions I think than uh than answers necessarily that for why that that number goes up. But you're not going to crush your own roster if you take him around pick 275 or 300 where he's going but probably gonna end up just dropping if it doesn't work out 
Yeah, that's the range that you're still in for Paddock. Going even later than that, I see Sean Manaya and Trevor Rogers both moving up, kind of from the back of the top 300 to the front of the top 300. I think in the case of Manaya, it's just that he could be used like a regular starter again. And if they're going to use him like a regular starter with the Mets. The range we saw between 2021 and Oakland and the one season with San Diego in 2022, it's 158 to 179 innings. If he falls somewhere in there, you're probably getting close to a four, slightly below ERA, maybe like a 380. Seems possible because of the park. You're not going to use him for every single start, right? Sean Manaya at Atlanta, <laughs> probably on your bench, but playable in a lot of his home starts. Yeah, you know. Also, you get these tweets where people are like, "Oh, Sean Manaya was so much better after he added the sweeper," which doesn't quite capture it because he didn't throw the sweeper a lot. It didn't do that well for him. Um, you had like a little bit of a velo boost last year. It's, you know, sometimes we boil pitching down to like, yeah, look at this one thing I found. And that made him so much better when, you know, we didn't know exactly how good he was before. And so saying that now I know exactly that he's better. And it was because of this one thing. Um, I, I, I do think it's generally good that he added us, that he added some sweep to his slider, uh, his slider and changeup have never been that good. It's always been kind of his fastball. Uh, the velo boost was good, and I think that the the role change is good. So I, I generally agree with it. I just don't know that you know, the sweeper is this magic bullet for him. Now, a few other fallers up and down the board. This is probably the most surprising one for me. It's not a massive drop, but based on where he goes, it's not without some significance. Hunter Green down 20 picks since November. Like Hunter Green seems like the kind of guy that could only catch helium as long as he's healthy. He's not hurt, right? So... I don't really understand why he's dropping. I think Hunter Green is exactly the kind of player that can show up at spring training, toss like 15 innings, strike out 18 or 19 guys, and not only erase that drop, but then like jump up 20 spots from where he started draft season. That's absolutely in his range. Especially interested if he's throwing a curveball. Yeah, that'd be huge for Hunter Green, right? Get to a third pitch more often. I mean, I think even if you put Spencer Strider in Cincinnati, it'd be harder. Like, just look at what happened to Spencer Strider last year. He just struck out everybody. But Atlanta's kind of a tough place for homers. And guess what? Strider had a little bit of a homer issue, you know, as a two-pitch guy, basically. So I just think even if it reduces his stuff plus, Hunter Green needs to throw another pitch. Yeah, yeah, it makes some sense for him to try and do that. Uh, Walker Bueller makes sense why he's down. We talked about it when it happened. The Dodgers have just revealed they're going to be a little more careful with him. He's down about 60 picks since November, so you're getting a decent discount. I'm still not convinced I'm going after him right now. It might be more of a, a 2025 target for me based on what happens during the upcoming season. Gavin Williams down a couple of rounds, down 30 picks since November. I talked about him on the starting pitcher preview. I like Gavin Williams a lot in the range. So I love that there's a, a buyer, like a buying low opportunity, relatively speaking. Is there anything you could think of that would explain Williams sliding? Is there news? I haven't seen it. Innings should be there. He had 128, no, 142 last year. Right. So you're not really looking at a major restriction or anything. It's not, it's not a depth chart problem. He's on the, he's in the top five. It's a team we trust with pitching. Maybe it's a touting situation. Uh, we'll say like a 23.5% strikeout rate is a big drop from where he was in the minors. So perhaps some people think that's going to stick. Uh, and I guess projections might be a little bit lighter on strikeouts than people expect. Uh, but a guy who struck out 
you know, more than 30% of the batters he saw in the minor leagues is, and then struck out 23.5 in his first try, like, that's somebody I'm interested in. Take every model and throw it out the, the door. Like, I'm interested in that guy. You know what I mean? Jeez, the AL Central? Sure. I'll, I'll take a, a, a young pitcher with talent in that division that I can use more than half the time easily, maybe use all the time. Yes, sign me up for Gavin Williams. I've used that minor league strikeout rate lower, great minor league strikeout rate lower in the in the major leagues, um, and just use that as your rubric. You get Brian Bayo, uh, uh, Bobby Miller, and Gavin Williams. It's like those are pretty interesting guys. Yeah, nobody in that group is bad. I think of All those right. three, Bayo's the one we have the most questions about because we've seen a little more of him in the big leagues. But any one of those three, all three of them, could be a lot better than they have been to this point, especially in terms of, of K rate. Uh, Christian Javier is the other faller. I think that's all you. I think you've just been throwing so much cold water on Christian Javier that uh, he's just tumbling down the draft board. It's like 20, 25 picks really since November. Uh, and I think we established the in the Astros preview, we're choosing Hunter Brown in that range for this season. We think Hunter Brown has the up arrow while Christian Javier has that slight down arrow. Hunter Brown won for like five or six more dollars than Christian Javier in the honor of draft last night. Yeah, so the... <laughs> The preference for Hunter Brown seems to be growing, and wouldn't be surprised. It's a really to see interesting one. Shift. You think about it, like think about how far we've come. It, and like, what if Christian Javier is better than Hunter Brown this year? Just be, it'd be kind of hilarious because we, you know, the the advanced statistics are all pointing towards Hunter Brown. But if you look at the actual results last year, it was Christian Javier. I mean, Javier in twenty twenty two had a thirty three point two percent K rate, a two fifty four ERA, and a point nine five WHIP over one hundred and forty eight and two thirds innings. That's really, really good. That wasn't that long ago. At some point, that price will come down, and I'll have a share, and somebody will laugh in the in the in the draft chat. I'm less worried about Javier than you, so I'm already kind of intrigued, and I like that you're getting. We're starting to see like little discounts on him too, so I'm I'm probably buying some of the dip on Christian Javier. Not gonna have him everywhere, but where where is he going? Like uh, in 15 teen leagues, like what SP is he for you? He's going to pick 184. So that's probably your fourth, fifth. That's probably your fifth. Dude, I get on board. It's my fifth. Yeah, he's in the Pavetta, Brown, Bryce Miller range. You don't really expect your fifth to stick around that long. That's right around the, the point where, oh, but Bryce Miller or him? Well, yeah, there's a few other guys in the cluster that I would take over him, but everybody else seems to like those guys too. Right. So, so when if they, if he they just get drops, jumped up and yeah. Javier just stands still, okay, that's fine. If he's the one that's still left in the group, I would take him over Eduardo Rodriguez. I would take him over Shane Boz just based on what we know right now about Boz's workload, even though I like Boz's talent. The Boz problem is is like Boz is a terrible would you rather because you just have to do the right things with your roster to even take advantage of it. It's not a toss up for him. It's just like, like if you're in a 10 team league that like if you have an NA spot, like a NA, lot of is, NA spots are made for Shane Boz like in 2024. 10 team NA league with NA spot, like <laughs> then you should draft him over Christian Javier 100% of the time. Right. But if you're in a 15-team league where you have With the, the bench problems. man bench. <laughs> yeah, then, then it's a, a totally different scenario. There's just so much that has to be right about the scenario for now with Boz. Maybe Which a month from now. It's really hard to rank, change. honestly. Walker Bueller and Shane Boz are one of the hardest ranks because, you know, I'm trying to rank for most of people. <laughs> Never easy. Uh, but if you want to check out those rankings, they are available. And you had a recent piece go up, right? You talked about that at the end of the show yesterday. Looking for five, five some, young some breakouts. Uh, starting pitcher breakouts. And I believe 
Uh, we're going to release a bunch of fantasy content this week. And uh, part of that will be my deep sleepers. The deep sleepers, which I think we're going to have a, a podcast episode tied to that or loosely connected to that, at least, because we had some requests for more names that we didn't get to. We had three episodes covering starting pitching. I mean, it still didn't get deep enough. So we'll try to uh, get a few more names out there. The deep sleepers are actually a little painful for me because I don't want to publish them. And there's like a name on there I don't want to publish. And it reminds me of I did the Bay Area uh, beer guide over the over the weekend. And uh, I didn't want to put there's this place called Garaje. I didn't want to put it on there just because I like it too much. And the lines aren't bad. And it's literally like two blocks from third and king from a Giants game. And like it has an amazing beer list. It's not really expensive. And the sandwiches are great. It's like the best pregame spot. And it's never that crowded. People go to 21st Amendment because that's like, you know, what they've heard. And they have like a Giants beer on tap. And it's like bigger. And it just, you know, that's what they've heard of. But Garah is like this little hole in the wall. I took a major league player there. And he was like, this is great. Do you have a, you have more places like this? And now I've ruined Garaje. You know, like I gotta go tell him, like don't go, don't go back to Garaje. Probably I probably blew that one up. Well, it might be good for their business, but yeah, it's not as good for you getting in and out of there with a sandwich and a beer efficiently. Yeah, right. <laughs> but so yeah, the deep league sleekers is uh, is my Garaje list. Fantastic. Well, we're all looking forward to that so we can use it against you. Theathletic.com uh, slash rates and barrels will get you a subscription $2 a month if you'd like to use Eno's Deep Sleepers against him. Uh, that's the price for the first year. You can't really beat $2 a month for a year with the all the great coverage we've got, not only of just baseball, but NBA past the trade deadline now, NFL going into offseason mode, and we'll have all that stuff covered now that it's NFL draft season. Whatever you like, we probably have it covered at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Follow the pod at Rates and Barrels. Be sure to hit the like button on this video, especially if you made it all the way to the end. We really appreciate you. Drop us some comments and questions there. We'll get to some mailbag questions in the near future. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.